Two Fit Crazies and a Microphone podcast is brought to you by Vox. That's V-O-X-X, Human Performance Technology. And what is Vox? What we're looking at is wellness and lifestyle socks, insoles, and 24-hour wearable neuro patches. And Brian, I've actually worn these socks before, and I love them. Okay, I think they're good. great. Yeah, so that you know they have um, independent studies that show that they've uh, or, or, you know can help increase stamina, endurance, and recovery, and and uh, you know some stability, and uh, you know a whole lot more. So we've got information on this on our website. Uh, so definitely go and check that out at twofitcrazies.com under uh, podcast sponsor tabs. Who else are we sponsored by, Christine Conti? We are also sponsored by Conti Fitness, the best in online and personal training, a little mindset coaching as well, yoga, whatever you need, ContiFitness.net. As well as High Five Health and Fitness. So we create positive change in your life with online health coaching from High Five Health and Fitness. That's HighFiveHealthAndFitness.com. Again, all this and more on our uh, podcast sponsor tab on the Two Fit Crazies website. Go check it out. It is Christine Conti. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are Two Fit Crazies. And the microphone. We are where it's Brian, how are you doing today? I'm good. Nice. Yeah. We had a great, great guest today. Yeah. Great conversation. Episode 111, you pointed out. Exactly. We are up. Next up, 120. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And next up will be 112, but... Well, no, but you know what I mean. That's the next goal. It's You said we're breaking it up by decades. The decades are good. I, I, li- I like it. We're rolling through these things. So... I love it. What's really cool is that Brian and I actually were both on... Andrew Gavigan's podcast called Beyond the Squat. Beyond the Squat. Which is really cool. It's funny. Yeah. Um, so it's a great name. It is. It's really funny when it comes up on... Uh, well, it's like in the fitness industry, like Beyond the Squat. You know, there's more to it than, right. you, you know... You have to just hang clean push press a bunch of weights over your head to... And and boy, is there ever more to it than that. And I think that Andrew's uh, pretty indicative of uh, of what, what the fitness industry uh, has to provide beyond the squat. Very cool. First time I met Andrew, actually, I was like leaving a, an SCW fitness convention and, and he's like, are you Christine? And I was like, I got to catch a flight. Here's my car. Call me. You know, <laughs> um, but it was, it was great that we got to catch up because he's, he's uh, really moving and shaking in the fitness industry and you're going to hear his story. Of course, Brian and I have to get into the story of how he was like traveling with a band and smoking lots of cigarettes and, and found martial arts and capoeira and really cool way that he got into the industry. Yeah. And, and, uh, I'm always fascinated by the martial arts. There's, there's so many, like we've interviewed a lot of people mm-hmm. that martial arts was, you know, the entry to their, their fitness lives. And what about run your studio like a dojo? Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, Julian Barnes. Who's... Julian Barnes had that mm-hmm. speedball. Steve, yeah. his introduction was through martial arts. It's quite a few. And, um, and, you know, and, and there's something to it. I actually wrote that down to, to ask Andrew about that, but this, this, uh, conversation went elsewhere. Uh, you know, Andrew's also a student he's, and he's, uh, you know, he's working towards, um, a degree in behavioral economics, mm-hmm. all right, which is very interesting when applied to the world of fitness. Uh, you know, what makes people tick? What makes the, how do they behave and how does that, in, you know, how does that, um, impact affect how much they work right. out, what they, even what they want to eat, your nutrition. Right. How, um, does, how does it impact the business side of things? It's fascinating. Because he said, you know, how can, if you're not going to get the clients in, how are you going to get them to work out in the first place? So it is very, I think he, he's going to add a lot of value to this industry because he is really coming to it from a different avenue of and I, you know, I kid him about it because I was like, so we're just going to trick people through propaganda in order to get healthier. And it's like, well, yes. Yes, we are. Yeah. I, let's do it. I don't care what we need to do at this point. Marketing, w- you know, what's going to motivate people, what's going to get them to believe in themselves and, you know, the intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. How does that work? Um, I, I think it's fascinating. Brian and I were geeking out on it in the episode. You're going to hear... Um, a bunch of different scenarios, and I think it really relates to not just fitness, but maybe in other aspects oh, every, of your life. Everything for sure, family life, uh, you know, without a doubt, and and uh, and 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 business world, and and everything else in between. Um, you know, it's just a really really good conversation. We do go quite a, in, into quite a bit uh, corporate wellness, and uh, you know, and and it's 
it's interesting to see it from a business aspect, um, you know, not just the boots on the ground, people coming in, hey, we're going to make you healthy and stuff like kind of the stuff that, that we right. that we do, um, you know, it, it, but, you know, there's got to be another side to it or else, you know, how is it going to work? So uh, Andrew's great. It was a great conversation. Uh, we talked about some of the products that he's uh, that he's working for. He's working for uh, Active Solutions and his own company's MostFit. They've got a couple products out there that he's uh, that he's working for. And uh, you know, once again, his uh, his podcast Beyond the Squat. Yeah, check it out. Check out Andrew SCW at Fibo at Idea World. He's he's getting all over the place. Yeah, I know. Big thanks for Andrew Gavigan. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah. All right, so let's hit it. Episode 111, that's 111, Two Fit Crazies in a Microphone Podcast. Here we go. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are two fit crazy. And the microphone. We are where it's at. It's been a little bit since we did that, and I always get nervous that like we're gonna mess up the intro. Yeah, if it's been like a couple days or a week. We just edit, right? Or we start over. It's our world, Christine Conti. This is, is our true. show. That is true. I know. I've been listening to a couple podcasts and people have been cursing a lot. I'm like, for once in a while, I'm just like mm. Maybe I should want to do that every once in a while. Just get it out there. But Have the, the, the cursing. The curse episode. I, I, I think I curse on every episode, but it's like the cursing episode. Yeah, but it's not a lot. Remember when South Park did that? They like just dropped. Yeah, yeah, great. yeah. Like the great. whole time they counted. They had a counter in the corner of how many times they cursed. It was beautiful. All right. Well, I mean, I don't think there's a lot of cursing that needs to go on today because we've got a pretty awesome guest. And it's episode. Keep it wholesome. One, 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 111. Ah. Yeah. Ah. And um, Andrew Gavigan, how you doing? Super duper. How are you guys? We are good. We're always crazy. I'll just answer for me and my other self that's sitting here too. So we got uh, we got East Coast West Coast going on today. Andrew, where are you coming to us from? Uh, right now, I'm in West Hills, California, which is like four square miles of the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles. Beautiful. What's it, what's the weather like today? Because it's been so freaking hot and humid in our, on the Jersey Shore lately that you yeah, know those yeah. of us runners are like, it's we're getting some good endurance training going on. Let's just say that. Yeah, well, it's nine thirty a.m. and it's only probably eighty eight. So. <laughs> it's cooking, sweet. <laughs> it's cooking. I'm in uh, the hotter part of los angeles right um, the valley warms up yeah it gets it, and the colder part too when when it gets real cold um so it gets hot here for sure now are you born and raised you're native of uh of the area i am from nearby a place called oxnard okay um, if you aren't familiar then I'm from oxnard oxnard. <laughs> oxnard yeah we it's a it was a farm community it's kind of just a uh, commuter community now about 60 miles north of Los Angeles on the beach. There's a Navy base there and a bunch of uh, strawberry and broccoli fields. There you go. I, you know, I don't go out there enough. I don't go out to Cal. I don't go to Cal. I mean, I've been to California a, a bunch and I lived that I lived in Arizona for four years. So we used to go for the weekends and, and things like that. And, but I don't, I don't go enough. It's awesome out there. Minus the traffic. Yeah. Traffic will bum you out. Yeah. I have a, a motorcycle. I try to ride. There as much you go. As I'm too Type A to be out there. Yeah. I mean, a little bit of LA fit, but every time I go out to California, it's like you're from New York. I'm like, mm-hmm. Yep. Could you tell? Like, <laughs> can you move? Can you move a little faster now? <laughs> what can are you, we doing here? You know, where's my coffee? Get your dog out of the streets. You know, you can tell. You could. I. You know, it's fine, and that's okay. I own it. So, Andrew, let's talk. So, obviously, 
you know, you didn't just fall into our laps. There's some sort of a connection going on here with fitness and wellness and health and changing lives and shaking hands and kissing babies, all that fun stuff. So talk to me about, all right, you started out, were you always into health, fitness, wellness? What, what happened here growing up? Um, so no, you know, I grew up, I am, uh, 36. So I grew up in the late 80s, early 90s with macaroni and cheese microwave dinners. Um, and my parents owned businesses. So, um, you know, there wasn't, uh, it was that whole thing where there wasn't a lot of time for preparing meals and caring about going to the gym. Uh, my brother and I did play sports, so we had that all up until the end of high school. I played football in high school. But that taught us a lot about hard work and grit, but it didn't necessarily teach us a lot about health and taking care of our bodies the rest of our lives. So I had a little lapse between 18 and 21 where I was uh, I was on tour with a rock band, and I ended up probably smoking about two packs of cigarettes a day by the end of uh, my 21st year of life. And uh, so I was looking for some way to quit smoking and I ended up finding a martial art. And then that snowballed. There's a long story here, but it snowballed into me quitting smoking, getting into exercise, training with a personal trainer, and then essentially changing the trajectory of my life. That's fantastic. Let's go back to this. <laughs> the rock Let's band. Let's go back to the touring with the rock band for a second. <laughs> I was going to do the same thing. Talk yeah, to yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Let's, cause this isn't, Andrew, this is what makes things so great about this show is that we all have this story that makes us who we are, that kind of, you know, why are, why do we act certain ways? Why do we do things? So you go from like, all right, I get it. By the way, did you have ecto cooler in the eighties? Uh, yeah. Oh I my mean, God. literally drank that high C. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Because I was a third child. My parents were like, at this point, my, my siblings are much older. And literally, it was like, what are you going to have for dinner? It was like ordering Chinese food or pizza or here, you want Oreo cookies and, and <laughs> Coke? Okay. Like, my teeth were destroyed because, like, no one cared at that time. And so, rock band. That's not just, let's just say that's not the normal childhood, like, 18 to 21 thing. So, please tell us how this happened. Okay, um... So first of all, full disclosure, touring with a rock band is not nearly as glamorous or as cool as it sounds, um, especially when I was doing it at the, uh, you know, around 2000 to 2006. This is when the advent of Internet communication and um, uh, Napster was happening. So Napster. we were able to, yeah, I don't know if you remember that. Napster um, and MySpace, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, but MySpace and Napster, and there was another couple web pages that were specifically for DIY rock bands to uh, communicate with each other and trade shows, right? If you're coming to New York, you play with us. When we come to California, you let us play with you. Um and uh, we had a couple of small record labels, the the most minor success you can possibly imagine. Uh, and to give you an example, if we go on tour for 15 days, uh, we play 12 shows out of those 15 days. We sleep on floors and in cars the entire time. And three shows in a row will be in an old gas station or a bar for four people. And one show will have 120 people. And it'll pay for the next four shows where... The only people watching you are like an old guy who got lost and the other band. <laughs> That's um, right. However, you know, we were still able to sell albums, gain some sort of popularity that was worth every penny lost and every time I had to move and sleep on a couch for six years. Um, you know, we were able to write songs and put out albums because of it. And much like the value of playing football in high school this also taught us a lot about entrepreneurialism um grit and uh, creativity and how to create something how to run a business how to communicate um how to work with other people didn't always go super well but uh at least at the time the guys i was in the band with were we were you know a family we worked well with each other especially considering we were you know 
in our early 20s and late teens. So that uh, taught us a lot. It was great. And it faded out as I was getting into the fitness industry. Um, I don't know if one had to do with the other, but it was just simultaneous. So I found a new passion as my um, music career started to fade away. All right. So, you know, things run their course. It's a good time while I was, while I was going on. I had right around the same time, a good friend of mine, uh, my best friend growing up doing the same thing, you know, Ford Econoline van, uh, you know, and, and how much did the merch table make today? And uh, I guess we can go on to the next place. And they always had some things lined up, uh, you know, and, and, uh, it's just, a, it's a crazy way to live, but it sounds like living though. It's, like I was going to say, it's the right time in life to do it, right? Yeah. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if my back could do that. <laughs> oh man. So all right. So now moving on from that. So you're you're going on now and how do you get from there, you know, Andrew then to Andrew now? What what's what's going on? Okay, so um I've been in the fitness industry for almost fourteen years now. So I I I'll give you the specific story of when I first found fitness we were playing a show in our hometown and a uh the band was called the return by the way and we're from ventura california all right yeah we're on that already no, no, no. hashtag the return spotify that mm-hmm. um and just don't tell me what you think <laughs> <laughs> and uh we played a show in our hometown which is usually what we did right before we would go on tour or right when we would come back from tour because then we'd have to make you know 400 bucks to buy some gas and uh, a group opened up a hip hop group. And one of the MCs was practicing this martial art called Capoeira. Hmm. So Capoeira, everyone has seen, has seen images of this in media. It's people dressed all in white doing this sort of break dance fighting looking thing. It's a Brazilian martial art. I had never heard of it. I had obviously seen it in movies and commercials well, this guy practiced capoeira, and he brought his group in to do a demonstration. There's music involved in capoeira. There's dance. There's acrobatics. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I wanted to learn how to do it, and I was hoping it would help me quit smoking cigarettes. I was really determined to quit smoking at that particular time. I smoked a lot of cigarettes, like I mentioned, and it was making me feel sick. So turns out they had class right down the street from where I lived. I went the next day. Three weeks, three weeks later was the last cigarette I ever had. Three months later, I had lost like 21 pounds. Awesome. You know, I wasn't a big person, but I was just squishy and kind of um, gelatinous. I, I didn't have the strength that I thought I should to be proud of myself. And um, I didn't necessarily realize all the things that I wanted until I started to slowly get healthier and um, get away from cigarettes and my thought process get, got more clear. But from there, the guy who taught us martial arts, um, Perry, who uh, I owe a lot uh, for helping me get into my career now, he was a personal trainer. So I went and took a few sessions with him during the gym. I took some classes at the gym. I asked him, what does it take to be a certified personal trainer? He told me I did it. Uh, I jumped in, how do they say, head first, which uh, wasn't great for my early clients, but was great for me, you know, making the transition. And uh, that's how the career started. So I was a personal trainer at a couple of gyms in Oxnard and Ventura, California. Needless to say at the time, just like you hadn't heard of Oxnard, neither had fitness. There wasn't a lot of uh, business at the time in Oxnard. There's a lot now. There's a couple hundred gyms, I'm sure. From there, I uh, the band was breaking up. I decided I wanted to pursue my fitness career and uh, athletics in certain ways, so I moved to New York City. I lived there for a couple years. I worked at the uh, New York Health and Racquet Club. I was a personal trainer and a group X instructor. I'll make this short. I ended up in L.A. 10 years ago. From there, I found my way into corporate wellness, which I currently do, um, product development. I own a small line of product called MostFit, the MostFit Core Hammer and MostFit Sinring. And um, 
I now work as uh, what's called the director of education at a company called Active Solutions. We make a number of accessories and what we call smart rigging, big bridges and uh, racks for training areas. And then I still do a little bit of personal training. So my my career has definitely taken a different trajectory altogether from what I thought it was when I was on tour with the band. But it's even become different than what I thought it would be 14 years ago when I started training. And um, I'm very happy with it. I, I get to do education sessions and I'm currently in college for what is called behavioral economics, which help uh, help us in our community make better decisions. I like it. So now that is so now this is like college. Like you didn't go to college before, correct, Andrew? That's correct. I was on tour at the time, and um, school probably would not have been valuable. <laughs> See, that that's very smart. That's a very smart thing that you kind of realize. Like, all right, you know what? This is what I need to do now. And and now I'm sure you're laser focused as to I'm getting a degree in something that is truly useful and you truly value and are going to use, which is so cool. Yeah, I know exactly what I'm doing it for. And I'm learning more and more ways uh, to use it as I go along. So it's, you know, I, I'm positive, even if I went to school for music as a young person, I don't think I would have enjoyed it. But I, I can safely say I'm not happy about the statistics class I have to take right now, but <laughs> the outcome is exactly what I want, and I know it's of immense value to me, my career, and the community, so I really uh, am focused. You just sometimes in those classes, you got to put your head down gotta and love go. Stats. You just got to put your head down and oh. get through it. So I, now what's the degree you said that you're getting right now? So I um, – I'm going to get a, a a BA, or rather a BS in uh, psychology with a minor in economics, and then I will go on to a master's in what's called behavioral economics. Very interesting. I'm fascinated awesome. by things like that. Um, and, and and how will you use that? Would you say with uh, within the fitness industry? What what is it that you're looking to do with it? And I mean, obviously the money and the, and the behavior and the people's people's money and how they spend it and their behaviors that are attached to everything, the behaviors attached to fitness. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll give you a couple of analogies. It's great as a trainer to understand how hips and glutes work so I can help somebody do a squat, but that's not relevant when the majority of the population doesn't go to a gym. Um, how do we improve people's decision-making when it comes to protecting their health. I'll give you an example of what behavioral economics is compared to psychology and standard economics. Uh, economics is based off of natural economic law. If exercising makes me better at my job and the time used to exercise is made up by my efficiency at work, then that is what I do. I exercise and I do typically what I'm supposed to when I'm supposed to. Now, I'll ask you guys, does that sound like a person or a weird um, made-up homo economicus? It, it, it could possibly be a person. I mean, if, if a person can look at that time, you know, as the commodity that it is and and fitness is, you know, spending time doing that to help you on the other end, then sure, right? Yeah, so that's what behavioral economics studies. It studies where we're able to make those decisions based off of logic and why, again, most of our population isn't able to make that decision. So human decision-making is not rational. It generally is not rational ever. Studying behavioral economics studies those rational and irrational behaviors. Studying economics simply studies supply and demand. If we need something, it costs more. If there's less of it, it costs even more. Um, exercise is free. Why don't people do it? Exercise is better for everybody. Why don't people do it? Eating healthy reduces um, absenteeism. It reduces health care costs. Obviously, it's a good choice. Why don't we do it? Because we're human and we don't make rational decisions. So studying uh, psychology, economics, um, consumer behavior 
is going to help us in the industry implement different types of, say, marketing, different types of fee structures for gyms and trainers, different types of regulation in healthcare, um, different types of ways of taxing people's healthcare expenditure in order to incentivize or disincentivize certain behavior or choices. And uh, I think that we have a gap in the industry and in government policy for healthcare related to people making better choices. And I want to hopefully have a part in that policy at some point. Gavigan for president, 2020. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Make what America healthy again. Seriously. That's fantastic. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I, I, I'm not a proponent or a fan of, of more government. So let's not assume that, but like in schools, teaching people the importance of things, incentivizing, uh, incentivizing healthy behavior instead of, I don't want to say criminalizing, but um, shaming unhealthy behavior. They have different outcomes and we need to understand those things so that going forward, people can make better decisions. And uh, that's, uh, that's what I study in my leisure reading. That's what we study with abnormal psychology. And frankly, statistics to loop that back in is going to help me understand research better. And um, that's an important thing. So give us an example. I know this is fascinating for both Brian and I, and, and this is important again, as, as consumers, as people that, you know, we try and get unbiased information out to, you know, to the world in the fitness health industry and beyond. What are some things that you've seen, you know, with this behavioral economics that, may help people be a little bit healthier. And again, Brian always says this, you know, we all know what to do, but we don't always do it. And now this seems like that's, you know, what you're studying, irrational, rational behavior. What are some things that, that you've come across without giving away all of your secrets? Huh. Uh, well, that's exactly what it is, right? We, we know that we're supposed to eat healthy, so why don't we do it? Well, because again, life is not a computer algorithm. So, I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, one real life example is Google's cafeteria. So one of the sessions I do at the conferences where uh, you and I know each other from Christine is, uh, is about how to start a small, low overhead corporate wellness consultant business. And I use an example uh, in that talk uh, by asking the um, attendees, let me know one company you can think of when I mention corporate wellness. And inevitably, people mention Google, right? So first of all, that shows that providing service to your employees is a great marketing tool forward-facing to your consumers because everybody knows that Google is a forward-thinking company that takes care of their employees. Then I uh, use an example in Google's cafeteria. And this will make perfect sense right off the bat. So Google has sort of a buffet line in their HQ and they feed their employees. They get free food, right? You walk in and there's a couple of different buffet stations. The first buffet station has uh, labels for everything with a uh, green color on it, right? There's another station that has labels with yellow color. And then there's a further station that you have to go to after those two that has red color on the labels. I can probably stop there and you'll understand what the point of those labels are, right? Yeah, so, you know, they, they were just able to classify things and how people eat. And and, uh, and, and based on the uh, greens, obviously, would be green, you know, for some vegetables in one, correct? Correct. All right. Green is yellow. And what's the red? Yellow is, is. alright. <laughs> what's that? The yellow is alright, and red is, you know, here's some, but it's not the best food for you. Which is interesting, because also in psychology, you're drawn to the red. If you exactly. go to the grocery now, store, they put those sale items. I know this yeah. is me being, I'm geeking out here. But they put all the sale items next to a red color. So if they really want those cucumbers to move, they're going to put them right next to those red apples, because you're drawn to those red apples, and then you're going to reach for those cucumbers. <laughs> 
In this case, the red tags uh, denote whether this is a, a green, go, yellow, slow down, and red, think about it. Now, more importantly, the buffet stations are placed further down the line. As simple as that seems, um, this has been proven in, in lab research and in field research. So there's a uh, behavioral economist named Richard Thaler who uh, recently won a Nobel Prize for his work in behavioral economics. And he's got a couple of great books you guys can look up. But their research showed that moving these foods down the line uh, changed the amount, uh, the percentage of time that people would buy these foods, these dessert foods. Furthermore, adding these color-coded um, labels, whether you explained it or not, was able to change that percentage even more for the better. And you can imagine uh, green, yellow, red is almost universal across the world, but it's certainly uh, understood in North America, right? Green is good, yellow, slow down, red, not so great. So they have healthy foods in the first buffet, okay foods in the middle, and then they have uh, the desserts in the last buffet. Another thing they do is they create small portions. So uh, it, it's an easy concept to understand as fitness professionals that when your food comes in small portions, you're more likely to eat less of it because of the way we perceive um, portions or servings. If I had one large cake, it uh, almost seems like less than two pieces of small cake, right? So their perception has changed. We've set up the environment to help the employees at Google make better decisions about their food. We don't force anything on them. They can still eat whatever they want, but we've made it easier for them to make better decisions. So that's, um, that's one example in uh, health and nutrition. Now, there's another example in marketing uh, that I'll go to a grocery store like you were just uh, talking about, Christine. Um, there's two end cap displays with candy bars. One says, get some today. How many candy bars? How many candy bars do you want, Christine, uh, from that display? Just just let me know and I'll get them for you. Okay, because so bunch, a bunch, because you said some. A bunch. So, yeah, just <laughs> grab them all. Uh, all of them. <laughs> what is it? Is there like a two for two for dollar? Is there? You know, uh, now yeah, you're getting... so they are, they're half off and there's uh, 600 of them there. How many do you want? I'll get them for you. When I go today, at least a couple, you know, okay. at least two, at three. least, you know, I'll get you three. How's that? Perfect. All right, Brian, there's another end cap um, in a different grocery store and on it, it says get 12 of them today. Oh. <laughs> How many of those do you want me to get for you? <laughs> I'd say, I'd say 12. Okay, good. So the point here is uh, anchoring. Uh, it's completely arbitrary and irrelevant. You get as many as you want, right? right. But you, being human, not uh, an economic machine, are going to relate differently to those anchoring points. Anchoring meaning some or twelve. Well, I'm not a, I'm not a jerk. I'm not going to listen to some sign. I'm just going to get six of them. You know, get as many as I want. Don't tell me what to do. Um, this has been proven, again, in field and in lab as well. When I set an anchor point higher, regardless of how arbitrary it is, the candy bars are still half off. I can get some, so I'll grab three, or I can get 12. I don't need that many, so I'll just get six. Uh, things like that help to guide people's decision. Now, there's obviously a thin line when it comes to exercise. Exercise seven times a week. I can't do that. I'm not going to exercise at all. That's called the backfire effect, right? Um, go ahead and try to exercise uh, four times a week, and uh, we'll see what happens in three weeks, and then we'll adjust our goals from there. Well, if you set four, maybe they exercise three. But if you set three, maybe they only exercise two. Little tiny decisions, little tiny cues like that, little anchoring points set people up for either massive success or massive loss, and understanding that is um, – what we study in behavioral economics and what's important for us in the industry. It's interesting. We will propaganda you into being healthier, no matter what. We'll trick you. Exactly. We'll, for real. So, it's, so what is that? What is the way that that you can, aside from just you know the number of workouts per weeks and things like that, and or even in the corporate wellness setting, how is it that you can market them into doing more 
than just doing some? That's a great question. There's a, a lot of research into a lot of uh, other places in industry. Uh, I hope to be able to do more research in our industry to enhance our knowledge uh, around those types of questions. I can tell you there's there's different types of incentives that make a difference when it comes to corporate wellness. I'll give you another example. Um, and this is from research that a guy named Dan Ariely did. He's one of my favorite persons to read on and to watch uh, talks from. He's a uh, behavioral economist from Duke University. And he did some research on incentives in uh, work pay bonus. So there's two things that are important in regards to this study. He talked a lot about economic norms, uh, or rather market norms and social norms. Uh, our paycheck at work, that's a market norm. As my pay goes up, I appreciate it, but I expect it, right? Bonuses, bonuses that come after my pay, things that I get as benefits from my workplace, depending on how those are presented, can be perceived as either market norms or what we call social norms. And as you can imagine, social norms are the type of interactions that like you and I would have between each other as um, friends and uh, colleagues at the same sort of peer uh, level in our job. Uh, or I'll use a better example. If you were my neighbor and you needed me to help you move, I would come help you move and I wouldn't ask you for money. I'd rather have pizza, right? So take those market norms and social norms and apply them to this research that Dan Ariely did. And, of course, this was, I think, in Egypt, since we can't really do these types of things in the U.S. based on certain legalities. He took a workforce. This was a workforce that worked specific hours. They clocked in, and they created microchips, something that was very tangibly countable, that you could gate exactly somebody's productivity. And he split those people, those workforce, that workforce, into three different incentive groups. A, B, and C. Incentive A was a certain amount of cash that was related to you reaching a quota on Monday. Uh, group B was a voucher that was worth a certain amount of money, but it wasn't money. It was a voucher to take your family out to dinner if you met that quota. And Group C was simply um, a essentially a thank you from management and the workforce for your hard work. So you can guess that initially the money, the $50 in cash, we'll say, uh, incentivized people to output more on Mondays. And that was the case. They output more than their quota. Uh, group B did a pretty good job. They did more than their quota by a bit. And then Group C, you know, made it pass just by a hair. So everybody did well. Money did the best. However, and this is what the real important part is, for the next four days of work, Group A's output declined steadily. Group B's declined softly, and Group C stayed pretty well next to the quota all week. So at the end of the week, Group A that got the money actually produced less overall than Group B, and Group B produced a tiny bit less than Group C. This is why. When your bonus is more associated with a market norm, it doesn't seem extra. Now it just seems like something that's owed to you and part of your job. Therefore, you're not going to be incentivized to make any um, any uh, moral commitment to your job or at least to that particular job. Whereas, and this is what they predicted anyway, all the way down at Group C that didn't get money, didn't really get any monetary value, uh, they got what was considered a social market bonus. They were more closely related. Uh, they related their job to their moral sense in their community more than anything else and therefore were able to output more steadily throughout the week. That's a very specific example but when it comes to corporate wellness, pay means something, but those extra benefits like a gym, a workout class, uh, healthy foods at work show the workforce that they're cared for and creates this, this 
social connection that usually, according to research, delivers better output, more longevity for employees, uh, better recruitment for employees, and less um, what we call absenteeism and presenteeism, which dictates essentially. I'm going to amen to that only because I've been having a day today. I didn't even talk about this. <laughs> having a day. I got a bunch of people that, that kind of work for me, Andrew, now. And um, what's interesting is is a lot of us in the fitness industry, you know, we work with people. We rely on people. We have coworkers. And, and again, um, I actually have people that are directly report to me. And one of the biggest things that I tell people, whether it's, I don't care if you're in, you know, private business or banking or, or anything. It could be any career that as a boss, you need to get to know your employees. Now, I could talk directly to the fitness industry right now that you have to have that that social connection with people. You have to have that you know that that respect or you do something great that you have that, you know, you did a great job and maybe I'm not giving you $50 for the great job you did because it's your job, but I'm acknowledging the fact that you're you're great, you're appreciated, I respect you. And those I feel like you have such a great work environment because you know that the person you're working for has your back. Yeah, some admiration. And it's and I think, you know, I always say I'm like, listen, if I make it big, I'm taking everyone with me. But that's not always the case. We're you know, you're kinda in this together, but I think that's a great point you made with that specific example. Um, because again, you work hard for this bonus and then you kind of drift off it, and then you know, whatever that is, that tangible thing, or is it something consistent? And like you said, with whether it's working or whether it's working out, is it the, Hey, let's do another weight loss challenge or the, we're going to work really hard for this set period of time and then just let it go to crap. Or yeah. are we instilling, like you said, are we instilling that mindset? Are we instilling the behavioral changes that you need for longevity and that's that's powerful it is and it's interesting right because you should output whatever you're getting paid to output but it's just not how humans work um so let's stop pretending that's how they work and um pay closer attention to how we actually make decisions and and even you know one of the things that i always say about about the corporate wellness setup and and the way that it's you know based now and this is something that i talked about when i was on your show um, was that, you know, forever it's been return on investment and show me the money I want to save on my insurance costs and I'm going to do this and I've got X amount of people and if we spend X, you know, we're going to we're going to spend Y and I hope to re- get a return on this that's of value to me as the business owner. Whereas I think that what you're saying here and what, what, what you know, has is, is always been more appealing to me in the way that I, you know, understand how people w- would work and how I would appreciate it is that they're not looking at me as a way to, you know, gain some revenue off of me in an additional way as they already are. But I work for this company and I'm part of your family and I'm a CEO of this company and these and these people are my family and we want them to be, you know, to to take care of them as we would as a family. So we put these programs in because it's going to make them healthier. That's the benefit of it not the cash benefit on the other end. And I think that once you kind of get into that and you start developing these programs and looking at it in that way where I'm going to do this not because I'm going to profit from it. I'm going to do this um, in, in, because I care about these people. And then from there, you'll probably get both. You know, Does that make sense? makes a lot of sense. Uh, Dan Ariely, I'll try not to beat this uh, podcast to death with talking about research and, uh, and um, lab it's important. tests. It's but fascinating, it's too, important. so don't, don't go with it. I think it is, too. Uh, Dan Ariely, that same um, uh, economist and author I was just talking about, did some more research about people finding meaning in their work, which is associated with the social norms. So he did a test with uh, Legos, essentially. And I love Legos. I already mentioned my age. My mom still gets me a little Lego thing every year for Christmas. You know, the kind that has like 10 pieces. I have like bags of them I can send to you. I can send you all the Legos. Please, please let me send you all the Legos. My brother has the collection of ours from the last, you know, combined whatever, 40 years. And uh, it's uh, absurd. You like like Star Wars Legos? I have all of them. Oh, we have the whole thing. We got everything. And we have just plain blocks. Anyway, um... So in a lab, he has a subject build a little Lego, 
pays them three dollars. Uh, then they build another Lego, pays them two fifty. Then they build another Lego, pays them two twenty five, uh, and down the line. So you get paid um, a diminishing amount every time you build one of these. Okay, that sets the uh, the test subjects up to find a point where most people would stop just based on the fun they're having compared to the amount of money they're getting paid. What they did with that, though, is they took two other groups. One group, they'd have them build the Legos, pay them, and then break the Legos down right in front of them, and then ask them to build it again and pay them. Keep that in mind. The other group, they'd have them build it, they'd slide it over to the end of the table, then they'd have them build another one, slide it to the end of the table, so on and so forth. So you have one group whose work gets done and half a second later is gone. You have another group whose work gets done and then they get to see their work sit there. This work is obviously 100% arbitrary. It's not going anywhere. doesn't mean anything. And they're still getting paid exactly the same for it. But what they measured in this test is how many of these uh, Lego figures each subject built before they said, I'm fine, I'm going to leave. Uh, as you can imagine, the group that got to see their work sitting on the table, got to stay there, they felt proud of it, would uh, end up building almost 15 of these, whereas the group on average, uh, the group that uh, had their Legos breaking down, on average, they would only build about 11 of these. So what that proves, among other uh, different field research that uh, Dan Ariely did, is that regardless of what the task is, People need to find purpose in their work, and they need to find some sort of acknowledgement in their work in order to find it fulfilling. Uh, I thought that was one of the most interesting uh, uh, tests that I've read about, especially from Dan Ariely, because it proves what, you know, you and I who do this type of work assume. The people need to find meaning. And it also, a side note, helped me realize that uh, in my studies and these types of this type of research uh, in itself helped me realize that lots of people enjoy exercise because it has obviously a great um, tangible return. It has a great physical and mental return, but it also proves to people consistently throughout every single day or week that they're the type of person who they think they are in their head. And it proves to them, even if it's just a consistent cycle of the same type of exercise, that they're the type of person who does the work to be the person they are. And that's a super important thing in regards to fulfilling one's, you know, ego or sense of self. I keep thinking from what you said, as after being a teacher, or like a you know high school teacher for 15 years, um, it was important to display the kids' work. And it was funny because people would always make fun of me. Not make fun of me, but I, my walls were covered with different projects and things. I mean, these are kids that are 17, 18 years old. And it was important for them to be able to have their work up there because they did it and it's up there. And if their work wasn't, where's my work? What, what, what? And that's even, you know, going into fitness, you're saying the results, people need to see something tangible. Here's what I did. I produced it. There it is. It stares at you. Well, I did my workout and my body's changing and I'm feeling better. And you can feel that. You can see that. It's something you can hold. And I think that's what, that's the glue that makes, you know, the workouts or whatever working out is to people. Because we don't always say working out. It's you're working in. You're working something into your life that makes you feel better, that it's going to prolong your life. And I guess my question that you, you were both talking about before is that, you know, people in corporate wellness or even you know, trying to get into fitness, how do we get people to say, oh, well, you know, I just, you know, I want to do this, not just for the ROI, you know, the, okay, well, I'm spending a little bit less on insurance and this and that. How do you get them to see it as you're investing in them, in their finding meaning in what they're doing? Because that's, I think that's the huge question here of, is it, is it innate? Is this a nature nurture thing where, you know, we can we can get someone to see a bigger picture and you want to care about your employees and you want to be this humanitarianism or humanitarianist. and Or is it just you're going to see it or you're not? I, I'd be really interested to hear from you, Brian, because uh, I have uh, 
have experienced the problem for the last 10 years where you can't really, there's not a lot of analytics that, that prove or even associate the actual uh, wellness program with any different type of ROI besides maybe insurance costs. And uh, I do work with some insurance brokers who also contend that they still haven't been able to find a way to prove any type of ROI or change in, um, you know, productivity related or even associated with their wellness program. It's sort of just a shot in the dark and somebody who understands that the human element is important to their business. What, what say you? Well, I, I think that that's the thing. I think it's been being sold wrong all this, all these years. I think that in theory that there's probably something to that. Um, but the reality is that there isn't any, you know, analytics that will show that there's, you know, X amount or a percentage amount that you're going to save here or there, especially company to company. I mean, everything's going to work a little bit differently. You're going to have different workforces, even industry to industry. So I don't think that there's a real benefit to it that way. And I think that the only reason that we thought of, think of it in that way is because that's how it's sold, right? Insurance companies say, hey, I can probably do this for you. Um, and I say probably, they would never go in and say probably. They say, I'm going to yeah. do this for you. But the reality is they might do that for you. I mean, I think that the real thing is like, you know, I, I always said I would never hire a smoker, right? I would never hire a smoker to do my corporate job because they're going to take, th you know, three smoke breaks a day and those smoke breaks take 15 minutes or so. And then they're probably going to say, I'm not going to start that little thing. I'm not going to make that call right now because I'm going to step out and smoke a cigarette in five minutes. And then, so now we've lost 20 minutes and then there's a walk down to the, you know, that you can actually, there's a, an actual time that it takes to smoke a cigarette like there's a you know an industry standard for how long it takes a person to smoke a cigarette if it's like eight minutes or whatever um you know then you can do that and if you do that over you know three times a day and you do that over a 40 hour week well now i've got an employee where i can you know now i've got a, a smoker that i'm paying for a 40 hour work week but they're only working 32 i might as well just give them friday off you know i hire somebody that that that, that you know that can you know or get them to quit it's smoking very well thought out brian no honestly i mean it's numbers it's it's yeah. time um you know that we can put of a, a value to the person who's doing this and now i've got you know i've got 15 20 smokers and and like they put up a gazebo so they have a place to smoke yeah. it's like what the hell's going on here so um you know, all those things. But I think that the reality of it is, and you can probably say I'm going to get more, you know, forget absenteeism, just doing the right work while they're there. Um, and, and I've worked in corporate settings, too. So, like, I see this happen all the time. And, and you know, I think that, that what you have to do is you have to look at it and say, yeah, but, like, we just don't want you to smoke anymore because it's bad for you. So we can provide you this program. Right. That, you know, it's going to might cost me a little more money. But, you know, if you're not taking eight hours of smoke breaks a week there, I'm going to see value. Right. I'm not going to see it, you know, on my bottom line, perhaps, uh, you know, as a, as a number of insurance costs and all those things. But it's just, you know, I think that there's there's a way to kind of spin it to where you're doing it for the right reasons. And you can also see that value. I don't know if I answered your question. That was a little bit of a rant, but um, I feel like you said, yeah, it's hard, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, it's written. No, it's hard. You, you, I, but I think uh, going back to it, I think that it's being sold in the wrong way. I think it's being sold from one end and not the other. Um, people, the companies love to save money on costs, right? Yeah. So they, they get an opportunity presented to them and say, all right, this is worth it. And this is what we're going to do. And you know, the people that they're selling it, you know, are really maybe the culprit in, in all this. And it's, that's the, corporate wellness industry, you know, and I'd rather go at it from the other end. Like, hey, we're, we're going to come in here and we're going to and we want everyone to feel really good. We want you to laugh five times when we're here. How about that? How about we improve culture? Yeah, because that's it. Yeah, that's so culture. And well, yeah, well, really what it is, is employee experience is valuable, especially for a lot of companies, you know, and there, there's plenty of companies where culture is everything, but there's no way you can implement much more of what at least what you know, I assume Brian and I do at these places, you know, um, but culture is everything. And when you apply culture correctly, you again, create what we were talking about earlier, a social norm, as opposed to simply a place where you go and do the things required for your pay. And, um, I, uh, I service, I, um, an energy drink company, uh, that shall go nameless. Cause I don't know if I'm allowed to say so, but, 
everybody who works there is exactly who you think works there. And, <laughs> and they create this massive culture that spreads through their entire brand out to the consumers and um, infiltrates the entire company. And it works. And I see it from the inside and from the outside, and I think it's fantastic. It's impossible still for them to tell whether what exact parts of their wellness program or even their employee experience program uh, creates more return on investment, but they do understand that their employees are their most important asset and they might as well take care of them. If, if that's it. I mean, that's, that's a very unique, uh, you know, perspective in the marketplace though, that, that, you know, that's not really the way that it's seen. So good for you to getting in there and, and kind of flipping the, you know, little paradigm shift uh, is, I think is what's needed there. Mm-hmm. All right, Andrew, ready? So let's go back right now because we have to hit on this. We got to hit on this. Sure. What are you, what are you up to right now? Aside from, aside from your education and just studying behavioral economics, which Brian and I are geeking out on we right went now. went down the rabbit hole. It's great. But, <laughs> but that's all related to what you're doing and the message you're sending to everyone. And I think that's important for our listeners to know that, you know, the guests we bring on the show, it's not, hey, my name is Andrew and here's my product and I want you to buy it. That's great. You know what we do? We want everyone to buy all of your stuff, Andrew, all of them. Mm-hmm. However, um, Talk to us now, again, going from, you know, growing up and torn with your band and now, you know, geeking out on, you know, behavioral economics. And you do work with, you said you work with companies. And one of the things you said, you're, you know, director of education at Active Solutions. What are the products now that you are promoting and selling? Okay, so uh, I'll briefly touch on most fit. So most fit is my brand. Uh, again, we have the MOSFET core hammer and the MOSFET sin rings. We used to have the MOSFET suspension strap when we started six years ago, and there's about half a dozen failed prototypes in my garage. So <laughs> I found an outlet for my creative side seven years ago, and I started trying to prototype, prototype products. Uh, meanwhile, having the slightest idea how a thing gets made let alone how it gets distributed and sold. So I worked it out over some time and over some uh, well-spent money. By well, I mean just a whole lot of lost money. (laughs) Um, And now I'm pretty good at it. So I have these two products that uh, I actually rolled back the amount of hours and time we spent in that company um, specifically. And uh, there's a company called Power Systems that distributes us. And then we sell it ourselves. The core hammer is the sledgehammer with like essentially a big rubber head. It's a urethane head. So it's a, it's a fairly expensive, super high durability, um, rubbery product. It's really powerful to use that, by the way. I've definitely swung that baby before and it's really liberating. It is. It's like a, a anger management and it's a great workout. It's a sledgehammer workout, but you don't need a tire. So it makes it a little more approachable and tangibly accessible. Then the Sin Rings is a little more um, abstract product, but it's a Olympic bar collar that slides onto a bar and then it has a rubber band and webbing where you hang your plates or your kettlebells and they move around a little bit. Um, but because of that experience, I obviously found my way into the product side of our industry And when I had some more time freed up, I I looked around, I asked around, and Active Solutions brought me on. And I am now their director of education. That means I sort of handle the information regarding their accessory line because we have a bunch of cool accessories like the Active Aqua, the Active Straps, uh, the Revel One. And then we have our big, like I mentioned, bridges and bays and storage. We have a whole... We can essentially build a whole room for a functional training space. We have a bunch of digital content as well and a digital platform. So I'm in charge of the content there. And between um, myself, Andrew Gavigan, my product company, MostFit, and the company that I spend most of my time with now, Active Solutions, I get to do a whole lot of Bring this in air quotes. Uh, I know you guys know my friend Pete McCall. We've had this conversation about how cheesy it sounds to say educator. Yeah. In, in this industry. Because really, uh, we just talk to our peers about stuff that we're more passionate about probably than they are at the time. Um, so I get to go to the conferences 
in all three capacities and deliver training formats for small group or talks about again corporate wellness and and more and more as I go down my uh, through my education more and more I talk about those behavioral economics concepts. So tell us right I, now where are you presenting all of these workshops? Hit it. Well, thanks for asking. Well, I'm at SCW <laughs> Mania where I get to see Christine a bunch this year. Uh, and that's a small regional um, show. So any trainer or group experts who needs some CECs or to learn some new stuff, come see us there, please. Um, you just missed me at Idea, Idea Worlds, but I'll be, I assume this will air before I get to FIBO USA in Orlando um, in October, I think. It's coming out with active solutions. Yeah, well, how long do you think it takes for Pine <laughs> to edit this for us? Come on. October. It'll be up in like a couple days. <laughs> this is episode 500, right? I don't know. Eight billion. Eight billion. That's so. it. Uh, well, that's, so, what that's what I do. That's, that's what I like doing right now. And I, I kind of, it's interesting. I go to school. People ask me, oh, what do you want to do with psychology? Uh, and I tell them, well, I want to do this just deeper. So, I want to do exactly what I'm doing now, but uh, just be even better at it and more of a, uh, again, without sounding cheesy, more of an asset to the other people I work with. I, I feel like that's the whole point. I now refer to myself as a fitness therapist. That is my new key term because yeah. fitness is, and I'm and like, you know, people laugh about it, but I'm like, no, really, that this is what it is because you need to talk about fitness and wellness and health and nutrition and eating. But if your damn mind is not straight, you look at me as my English teacher, my professor, you ain't got nothing. Your mind's not set. You got nothing going on. And I, I want to say literally the amount of people I feel like, including myself, that I talk off the ledge of it's okay. That it's all right. This is life. You're going to get lifed. Like I said today, this morning, I got lifed today. That's fine. You just keep going. My husband's like, Christine, just put your head down and you keep on going. It's like that statistics class. But it's true, you know, and, and I think that that's important, you know, when you call yourself an educator and you're in with the products and the, you know, you're going to school and you're, you know, getting all of this extra information now, that's a huge asset to not just people in the industry, people that own companies, whatever they may be. And now even just the average person who's like, I got to do something because doing nothing is not, should not be an option anymore. And Mm -hmm. you know, you got, you've got a good story too of, Hey, you found fitness and it helped you. Why can't it help me? That's the, uh, that's the age old saying, right? On everybody's uh, fitness trainer business card from the (laughs) nineties. I can do it. You can too. Yeah. (laughs) Do it together. Oh my God! I, you know, I just I, it, this conversation is just, it, you know, really what it what it what it does for me is, and what I you know keep thinking about is is the opportunities within the industry that are beyond a trainer certification, and you know, and and all the things that are out there, you know, for people who maybe you know are like, I can't I can't do this anymore. I you know I I only have. You know, the, the, I have to split the money with the gym, and uh, you know, I have all, in my my. I have to see fifty five clients. You know, uh, physic- or, physically, you just cannot. Right. There's not enough time in the day to make any money off it. Yeah. But you know, there's other opportunities where you can still keep you know your your hand in the gym, or or you know, I love being in the gym. I love it. I I mean, I love it right now. I got programs going because it's summertime with the kids, and I love it. It's you know, it's really exciting for me to do that work, and it's also a great break from the other stuff that we do. You know, so it's just like there's always opportunity in this industry um, because you know it's a it's a fun place. It's a fun space. You know, it's not you know. You know, big business, corporate, you know, it can be a lot of fun. Speaking of, Andrew, do, yeah. is there something else that you didn't mention that you do? Some sort of platform may have started? With two awesome guest stars coming up. Oh, <laughs> that's a good point. So I, I forgot that we weren't recording when we were talking about that earlier. So. So just like every other 12-year-old girl in America, I started a podcast. And, um, <laughs> uh, 
the podcast is called Beyond the Squat, and the whole point of our podcast, this is uh, uh, myself and a colleague friend named Helia Glenn, who uh, she owns a gym in Ventura, where I'm originally from. And um, the point of our podcast is that kind of it's a topic based episode. Uh, it's seasonal, so we only do a few episodes per season. Uh, theoretically, this is our first season. We're three episodes in, and for example, our last. Uh, our last, our first episode is called The Paradox of Choice, and we talk about how all of the information that people um, get drenched with in the fitness industry and in fitness marketing actually might make it harder for them to make a choice at all, uh, which is a, a big behavioral uh, economics concept. And uh, we interview some experts on um, – consumer behavior in training and we speak to somebody at ursa and uh we try to come up with these conclusions they're short episodes um the uh two fit crazies are gonna be on an episode coming up soon where we talk about uh it actually ended up being more about different um population types as opposed to uh when we first spoke we were <laughs> i think we were talking about um just uh, training with um, disabilities or injuries in general. Uh, we expanded that a little more into training with different population types, what it takes to get some of them started uh, and who you would want to, as a consumer, who you'd want to see um, what type of certifications you want to look out for if you're going to work with somebody. And uh, Christine and Brian are on that one. Beyond the Squat, check it out. We've got one coming up called What Makes a Fad a Fad. Uh, we've got one coming up called uh, What It Means to Be a Certified Personal Trainer. I know even a lot of people in the industry don't really understand certification and qualifications, uh, and consumers especially don't understand what that means and how um, I could call myself a personal trainer or a health coach any day of the week with no certifications because it's not a regulated field. I think it's a real interesting topic, and I hope everybody can uh, tune in at some point. You're the best, Andrew. This is awesome. So tell us right now, where are all the hashtags and social media and websites and everything? Say that right now, and then we're going to put that up on our social media as well. So tell our listeners, where can they find you? So the two that you can look for to find out all this stuff about me is andrewgavigan.com, G-A-V-I-G-A-N, I'll have all the links to social media, web pages, podcasts, uh, places that I work. Uh, and then I am personally on Instagram as Andrew Gavigan. I think I'm the only one. I'm definitely the um, best looking one. So. <laughs> there you go. He's the good looking one. I don't know who the other is, but we, we're sorry. We didn't mean to do that. Awesome. So, we super appreciate you taking the time. We are excited for your adventures and your your new degrees coming up and all of the conferences that you're going to be presenting. Everyone listening, if you can get to any of these shows, you know, whether it's SCW, um, where we at, you were just at IDEA, and then the next one is October. Is that what, that's the um, 501, right? Yeah, FIBO USA. Or FIBO, which- yeah. Mm-hmm. For for industry people, that that was that's the one that they do in Germany every year. This is their second year doing it in the U.S. Um, and it's going to be in Miami. So, at the least, you get to go to Miami. Yeah. Nice. That's, that's a good show that too. In October too. Good shows. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So everyone's got to check out Beyond the Squat, which is the podcast, and. Everything that you are up to, Andrew, we wish you the best of luck. Please keep in touch. Excited to see you uh, at SCW shows this year. We're definitely going to cross paths. And uh, yeah. what else? That was it. Exciting. Uh, Andrew, this is a great conversation. I liked every day. It took some turns that I wasn't expecting, and I love it. That's the what uh, makes this show uh, so fun for us to do. Thanks, guys. That was great. You're the best. All right. So with that said, it's Christine Conti. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are two fit crazies. And the microphone. We are where it's at. Peace.